welcome. You're listening to a sermon podcast from Oak Hills Church in Folsom, California. So we're in the uh, second week of, of the series that, that we're uh, in. We're calling Restoring Hospitality, where we are seeking to revitalize the practice of hospitality in the context of, of, of our church here at Oak Hills. Not of course, the transactional kind of hospitality that we are uh, that we've experienced out in the business world, you know the the kind of uh, hospitality that is practiced to uh, in, in the attempt to ensure a return customer at the end of the transaction, you know the kind of hospitality that sort of ends with a y'all come back now, you hear sort of feel to it. But the practice of hospitality that restores the tired soul of all who come in contact with it, even if it's only once. Mike started us off last week with pointing out that uh, the, the restorative, this kind of restorative, restorative hospitality can only flow out of a context that is rooted in Philadelphia. I, they literally, that's the, that's the word in the original Greek text, Philadelphia. Uh, it's a, a word that's composed of uh, the word phileo, which is love, and adelphos, which is brother. Put them together and you get Philadelphia, love and brother. Love for those that you have a connection with. Love for your brothers and sisters in Christ, as our translation here in Hebrews renders it. But I love how, how the author of Hebrews uh, is just, he know, he, they know the reality of human nature. Even human nature at its best and most loving. Because you see, even in, in environments where Philadelphia, where brotherly love is flowing, it is very easy that with all the love flowing for brothers and sisters, for people with whom we have this history and connection, with people that mean the world to us and that we look forward to seeing uh, every week, it is sometimes in those very environments that hospitality, which, you know, philoxenos is the Greek word in there, love for strangers, it can be forgotten. And so Hebrews follows up the command to let the love for brothers and sisters abide with the reminder that the love for strangers should not be forgotten. Probably all of us have been on the being forgotten end of that equation, right? A friend of mine once uh, told me about her experience uh, meeting her boyfriend's family for the first time. And it was a uh, boyfriend's family, was really tight-knit family, uh, hadn't seen him for a while. So when they arrived in the family's exuberance uh, to see him and greet him and catch up with him and feed him, uh, well, they completely forgot to offer her any food. Amazingly enough, she married me anyway. <laughs> and it's not like we do it on purpose. 
right? It's not that we're trying to purposefully ignore or neglect or exclude people. All of us would agree that this idea of showing love to strangers is a good thing. It's a shalom building thing. It's, it, it, we would all agree that showing hospitality it will just would make the world a way, way better place. It's just that sometimes we forget. So how do we remember to not forget to do something that sometimes we forget to do? Well, I got a quick question for you. How many of y'all brush your teeth this morning? Raise your hand. And it's okay if you didn't brush your teeth, go ahead and raise it too. Because there's no judgment here. You know, you can lie. In this case, that's an acceptable time to lie. Like, for most of us, we would never think of coming to church without brushing our teeth, right? The thought to skip, yeah, you know what? It's too much work. Ain't going to do it today. It just wouldn't cross our mind. Now, the funny thing is, is that the thought to brush our teeth, that probably didn't cross our mind either. So it's probably not like, we oh, going to church today, so today... We are brushing, right? Like, most likely, we didn't think about it at all. We just did it. Of course, at least for me personally, it hasn't always been that way. Like, I'll be honest, for a good chunk of my life, brushing my teeth was something that I would actually try to avoid. Uh, In sixth grade... I went like three months without brushing my teeth. Like, I kid you not. Don't blame my mom. Like, she's a good parent. Like, um, so what happened? Like, how did we go from people who at one point didn't think about brushing their teeth to people who would never think not to brush their teeth? Well, a couple of things. First of all, we learned to own the value of teeth brushing. And secondly, we practiced, right? And both of these things are really important because, see, if all you do is just practice uh, something that you don't actually value, well, that ensures that as as soon as someone, you know, as soon as mom forgets to ask you, David, did you brush your teeth this morning? Well, if I can get away with it, I'm not going to do it. And then also, if we value something that we well, we never actually put into practice. Well, all that ensures is that we will live a perpetually guilt-ridden, hypocritical life. Because, see, of course, my mom made me brush my teeth every day. So, I mean, I had the practice. But just the practice wasn't enough. It was forced. I didn't own the value. And so it's going to be the same way with our practice of hospitality. Now, around here... At Oak Hills, there's a lot of stuff that we do to help us practice the love of stranger, practice hospitality. I mean, we do the coffee break in the middle of the service thing. We find somebody you don't know thing, ask them, you know, creative icebreaker questions. What your favorite toy growing up is. We do the Acts 246 meals in each other's homes. Uh, uh, you know, with these Christmas festivals, We've got snacks after the service, your welcome team at the beginning. Like, there's a lot of, st- I, you know, Ashley does a great job of 
programming all these kind of family hospitality practicing experience for for us. And, And for the most part, I think we do a pretty good job of engaging with them. But we don't take the time to actually capture the undergirding value. We run the risk of forgetting to show hospitality to strangers. So this morning I want to talk a little bit about the value of hospitality, about kind of the love of stranger that Mike introduced to us last week to help build our foundation for the practice of it that we have here at Oak Hills. And the first thing that we have to understand about Christian hospitality is that it has to do with physical space. Hospitality is something that is practiced in real three-dimensional space. I've been thinking about, as I've been thinking about this message over the past few weeks, I found my mind drifting to my grandma's house. My grandma's house. I mean, I always had this sense that if I could just make it to my grandma's house, whatever was going on in life, it was going to be okay. I actually lived with her while I went to college, and I can still remember coming back from school, like not having slept, not having eaten, stressed out from a world where I was always competing, I was always being grading, graded, I was always not quite measuring up to the competition, and yet there was something about I'd walk into that apartment, and I just knew here I was going to get taken care of. She had a room for me. She had a bed. There was food in the refrigerator. She did my laundry. But it wasn't just the stuff that she did for me. It was that she just had this way of keeping her house. It just felt like there was like this protective bubble around it. Like the forces of evil would never be able to penetrate this little two-bedroom apartment. Around here, her, there was... There was no judgment, not just no judgment for me, but there was no judgment for anybody. There was no deception. There was no manipulation. There was no quid pro quo. She inhabited her space with this quiet confidence that just kind of soaked into the walls. But the fascinating thing is that it was this kind of hospitality bubble that didn't just reside at her house. Really, it followed her wherever she went. She spent the last 15 years of her life uh, living, actually, in other people's houses in spaces that she didn't, like, technically own. And yet, whenever I went to see her, that same sense of being welcomed, of being cared for, of being protected, it just, it was just there. When we talk about what our vision for hospitality here at Oak Hills Church looks like, my mind goes to this space, this square, this box that we gather in. What would it look like, what would it be like if this campus, its building, its patios, its offices, its classrooms 
were known as that kind of space. The kind of space where people feel the moment they step foot on the campus that it's going to be okay. They would be cared for, accepted, no evaluation, no judgment, that here people could really relax. Where folks would go through their whole week thinking to themselves, man, if I could just make it back there, I'll be okay. Not because the music is great, which it, of course, is. Uh, Not because the coffee is bougie. Not because the bathrooms are clean. But because the space oozes with a spirit of restorative hospitality. A restorative love for strangers. Of course, in order for us to contribute to making this space that kind of space. It starts with us owning the space that we are in. Like, we have to make the mental switch from this space being someone else's to being ours. We have to accept responsibility for the space that we inhabit, wherever we happen to be inhabiting it. You have to move from perpetually seeing ourselves as the outsider, as the minority, as the guest, as the one in need of hospitality, to the one who is responsible for offering it. That's what Jesus did. Realize Jesus didn't own a house. He didn't own a space. And yet everywhere he went, even when he was a guest in someone else's house, he extended hospitality to those around him. His bubble of hospitality followed him wherever he went. Like in the story in Luke chapter 7, where Jesus is having dinner at this Pharisee's house, and this woman bursts in and begins washing Jesus' feet, perfume, bursts into his bubble. Instead of reeling back because of the kind of woman that she was. He made space for her, right where he was. Even though the technical owner of the house was totally judging her, kind of just wanted her to leave. Jesus still owned the space that he inhabited at the moment. And he was hospitable in it. Because see, even though hospitality is practiced in a physical, three-dimensional space, hospitality is fueled not by the physical reality, but by the spiritual strength of the person. Ultimately, Christian hospitality flows from our spirit. It is not the paint color. It is not the feng shui of the room. It is not how the light drifts in or doesn't, as the case may be. Hospitality is a spirit that is operating in the space. I mean, we've all had that experience, right? Where you walk into a house or a space that is, you know, perfectly situated. It is 
perfectly furnished. It is every corner and clean and, you know, the coffee table and the everything is just. And yet the whole space screams, don't sit there. Don't touch that. Just, just, you know, and on the other hand, we've all been in spaces where we're sitting on a milk carton and with a box as a coffee table. And yet, we were perfectly comfortable. We never wanted to leave. And the difference is the spirit that is operating in that space. So what are some of the characteristics of the spirit of Christian hospitality? Of course, it starts with love, right? Biblical hospitality, as we've seen, literally means love, phileo, xenos, love of strangers. So hospitality, then, must be characterized by love. It must be characterized by a desire for what is best for the stranger, for the guest. What is best, what is in their best interest? Now, to make this practical and not just some sort of theoretical exercise this morning, as we're talking about this, it might be helpful for you to picture a 10-foot diameter circle around you. Like if you're a spatial kind of person, you just picture, you know, remember like, like FIFA, you know, the video game, you know, when it's like you're a player, there's a circle. Like picture one of those things. Like it's just kind of around you. You know, you got the 10-foot circle around you. And, and picture this as the space that you own, the space you inhabit, the space in which you will be practicing hospitality. Now, with that in mind, what does it feel like to love the people that enter that circle? Now, some of you, actually, there might be people sitting within that circle right now. So go ahead, just think about them. It might be awkward to look at them, but, you know, just kind of peripherally, like, okay, there's a 10-foot. Think about the people in your circle right now. Now, what does it mean to love that person, those people, to desire what is in their best interest. Now, maybe nothing comes to mind right away, because maybe you don't know the people in your circle right now. So, say a prayer to God for them. Ask God what it would look like to love. The people, the actual people, in your actual 10 for circle right now. If you just do that. Now, right there, you have just done the most loving thing that you could do for the actual people in your actual 10 for circle right now. I mean, could you imagine what this square, this space would feel like if that's how we wandered around on Sunday morning or Tuesday morning or Wednesday night at Pilot, whatever it is, if that's how we wandered around here, what this space would feel like to walk about. Everybody kind of saying prayers for anybody that walks within 10 feet of them. Another essential characteristic of a spirit of hospitality 
is acceptance, reception, welcome. First Timothy 5.10, there is a, another Greek word. I'm sorry, I kind of nerded out on the whole Greek thing this week. You know, you study this stuff in seminary, and yet never get to use it. So, Dad, burn it. I just went all in today. Sorry. Uh, the, so there's, you know, there's a verse in 1 Timothy 5.10 5, that talks about hospitality. And yet the Greek word that is translated in as hospitality isn't the word philoxenos, which we've been talking about, love, stranger. It's uh, the Greek word xenodocheo. You've got to get the in there. Which is literally the reception or welcoming of strangers. Now, the fascinating thing, and this really is fascinating, trust me. Uh, the fascinating thing about the construction of this word is that the other word, besides the xenos word, which is the stranger word, it's this dechomai word. It's the word to receive, to welcome. And if you take a moment, which you all should, and do a little quick word study on the Greek verb dechomai, and you see how is it used in the Greek New Testament, you find that it's used, sorry, 58 times, okay? And you go through and you school, well, what is, what is it usually being say, used for? You look at that and you realize what this word is mostly used for in the New Testament is to describe what our attitude should be in receiving Jesus himself or the message, the gospel, the word of God. Which, I don't know, maybe I'm just, this is a stretch and I'm just nerding out, but it was interesting to, to me to think of hospitality being welcoming strangers into our circle with the same attitude, the same welcome, the same spirit of reception that we use to welcome Jesus, to welcome a word from God. So again, picture your 10-foot circle. Picture people coming into it. What does it look like for me to welcome those people in the same way that I would welcome Jesus? The same way that I would welcome a message from God. Like, I don't know. I mean, at the very least, it might mean I put my phone away, right? I think it would probably involve, you know, maybe pausing the conversation that I'm in to acknowledge this person's arrival. Maybe opening the circle, maybe even rearranging my body so as to give them space to share in the conversation. Maybe having a question or two for them so that if they do bring a word from the Lord to me, that I actually give them an opening in the conversation to share it. And I, I don't say all this to say that every single interaction uh, you know, that we have here has to be this deep exchanging of feelings and insight. You know, like, how are you doing really? You know, one of those things. It's just that, you know, uh, it's okay to ask how you're doing. And by the way, it's okay to answer fine, even if, yes, not everything in your life is fine. You're not being deceptive. You're not being inauthentic. You are exchanging pleasantries, which may seem superficial. But even in that superficial exchange, what we are doing is we are giving 
Folks, an opportunity to engage, an opportunity to share, and also giving them the opportunity to not to. Another aspect of the spirit of hospitality we see in the New Testament is the extension of grace. Back to the story I referred to earlier in Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 39. I'll just read it real quick. Um, So when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and was reclined at the table. And a woman in that town who had lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So he came there with an alabaster jar of perfume and she stood behind him at his feet weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears and she wiped them with her hair kissed them and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who was touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Now, the obvious point in the story here is that Jesus does know what kind of woman she is. And yet, He welcomes her, loves her, shows hospitality to her all the same. He shows her grace. Biblical grace, God's grace, makes up for what we lack, does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. It raises us up, even though we do not qualify to be at that level. This woman wasn't worthy to be touching the feet of God. Jesus' grace, though, raises her up out of a lowly position as, quote-unquote, sinner and accepts her as an act, accepts her, accepts her act of worship, her act of service. In our extending hospitality to strangers, in grace, we make up for what they may be lacking. When you come into my circle, in grace, I make up for what you do not bring. Whether it's superficial stuff like minding your manners, using your blinker, uh, using tact, brushing your teeth. I'll make up for that. Whether it's physical stuff like maybe being tired or not knowing what to say. In grace, I'll make up for that. Even if it's internal stuff like worry or insecurity or pride or self-centeredness, grace in hospitality means that I will make up for whatever you lack and not just demand that you come into my circle with it all figured out. Finally, in Christian hospitality, we see a spirit of expectation. There is a real expectation that the stranger, when he or she comes into our circle, that they actually come with something to offer us. This is what is behind the statement in verse 2 there about some having entertained angels without knowing it. It's what we see in Jesus extending hospitality to this woman who enters his space and serves him through washing his feet. Now, this is not about getting repaid for showing hospitality. It's about viewing others with the dignity 
that they bring something to the table, that they are fellow children of God and therefore bear with them every possibility of actually being Christ himself. To use the word of, words of C.S. Lewis from his essay, The Weight of Glory, where he writes, Next to the blessed sacrament itself, your neighbor is the holiest object presented to your senses. Again, go back to your 10-foot circle. Picture the people in it or the people entering into it with this thought. Next to the blessed sacrament itself, these people are the holiest object presented to my senses. And so we are blessed by the simple fact of them entering our circle. And when it comes to practicing hospitality, it is these people that Hebrews is calling us to. Some of them voted for Gavin Newsom this past week. Some of them did not. Some of them are pro-life. Some of them are pro-choice. Some of them are in the United States legally. Some of them are not. Some of them believe in God. Some of them don't. Some of them have more money than you do. Some of them have less. Some of them are more educated than you are. Some less. Some of them can handle themselves with a hammer and a nail. Some of them don't know which end to use. Some of them brushed their teeth this morning. And yes, some of them did not. And it is these people, not the hypothetical ones, not the ones that fit some predetermined profile, not the ones that are deserving of hospitality, not the ones that really need it the most. No, it's the actual heartbeats that enter your 10 foot circle. Those are the outsiders, the strangers that we are to love, to welcome, to extend grace to. Those are the folks through whom we should expect to experience God. And yeah, it is really easy to forget to. As we get busy enjoying the love of the brothers and sisters that we already know and that we already connected to, it might even be a little bit overwhelming to think about how many people come in and out of that 10-foot circle. It might feel exhausting. But here's where we remember. It is not our circle that we are welcoming people into. It is God. It is His kingdom. It is His house. Would you pray with me? And so, Father, we recognize our tendency to forget. Father, we want to be extensions of your love, of your welcome, of your grace. We want to experience you through the people that you so graciously bring into our lives. We recognize that it is only through your spirit that we do this. So teach us to rely more heavily on you that you would focus our attention as we welcome people in. Pray this in Jesus' name.